Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hangouts and Headlines, December 29th, 2022. Look out, I've got my voice back, folks, and I'm ready to use it. Thank you so much for all the well wishes that we got over the Christmas holiday. I was just floored by the number of DMs and messages and emails that both myself and Mrs. Hoaglaw received. It was so much fun. I will tell you this, it's Christmas Day around about, and I've got 130 some odd messages I look at on my phone. And usually when I have that kind of interaction, something has gone terribly wrong. Either people are very upset at me for some reason, which is always a new question mark on Twitter or social media in general, or I've got some kind of litigation to review or Microsoft has said something or Activision has said something or both have said something. And in fact, we do have a Wall Street Journal op-ed uh, from FTC Lena Khan to probably cover in this space. Uh, but instead, it was just well wishes. And if I didn't get back to you directly, know that I am so, so appreciative of all that. That was so much fun to see. And I tried to get back to uh, a lot of people that sent those messages. Uh, but I hope you had a wonderful holiday as well. Obviously, it's a little bit later in the day for today's episode. Uh, I am trying to take as much recharge, refresh time as possible while my girls are off from school. Uh, so these will be a little bit more sporadic uh, in general during this week and next week. But I wanted to come have a conversation with y'all. I miss y'all uh, in Hangouts and Headlines, having these fun talks, talking about something that is uh, obviously I'm something I'm very interested in, copyright, intellectual property, and Disney, both things that are regular appears on Hangouts and Headlines and in virtual legality. Uh, and uh, I'm just so thrilled to uh, to be here with a voice feeling energetic, feeling a little bit more rested, which it was just entirely necessary as uh, December and 2022 in general kind of ground me down all the way uh, until the end of the year. But how are you doing? How was your Christmas? If you don't celebrate Christmas, are you getting a break? How is that break? Are you still working right now this week? Are you happy to see me? It's 9 a.m. It's a weird time for us, but I wanted to be able to not set that alarm uh, for my usual uh, 5.45 wake up to do hangouts and headlines. So uh, how are you all? Let me know. I see the chat already flying. I'm super thrilled to be here. I don't think I turned any of the buttons on because I forgot to for any uh, membership subscriber stuff or slow mode. So hopefully we're all good there. Already 200 people hanging out with me. We're going to talk intellectual property. We're going to talk Mickey Mouse. We're going to talk about Disney. We're going to talk about, I don't know, murderous Winnie the Poohs, Sonny Bono, Sherlock Holmes. We've got a lot of stuff already prepped for you. So I'm really excited about this one. I'm glad we're doing this. We'll probably do one tomorrow, I think. Uh, but other than that, I apologize. We're just going to be this two weeks kind of picking and choosing where we pop up. And hopefully a lot of you are getting the same kind of re refreshing relaxation and, and trying to get ahead of the start of 2023 as I am. And if you aren't, I'm very sorry about that. And I will try to make sure we do shows to make sure that you're entertained. So glad to see you, Hoag, says Midnight Dreary. I'm so glad to see you, Midnight Dreary. I love that little Edgar Allan Poe in the morning. Uh, we've got other commentary. And I do have to comment on one other thing. <laughs> Some of you might have already noticed. I didn't see in the chat because I can barely read the chat. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, that uh, my glasses look a little bit different. These are not my glasses. Uh, so as a fun story, uh, on Christmas morning... <laughs> I I, uh, I got up early. Uh, my wife, Mrs. Hoaglaw, had, had woken me up telling me the kids were ready to go. Uh, and uh, I was preparing to be somewhat presentable for photos and things like that. And in moving around the stuff while I was groggily waking up, I had put my glasses on a, a table that I have in my room. And 
I accidentally knocked those glasses onto the ground. I, I knocked those glasses onto the ground. I said, oh, no, those glasses are on the ground. So I said, I will step away from the table in order to avoid breaking my glasses. And as I stepped away very, very early in the morning, I hear a crunch. I said, that's odd. I don't know what could possibly be crunching on my floor over here. And then I lifted my foot to find my broken glasses. So Merry Christmas. Good morning, everybody, when that kind of thing happens. But fortunately, past me had put his prior pair of glasses in the older case. We're like uh, three cases in now. And so these cat, uh, these glasses are from a number of years ago, and they're slightly off, which is okay for like big ticket items, uh, watching TV, reading subtitles of Avatar, whatever it might be. But they aren't so great at moving between distances or reading in particular right here, the Super Chat. So I might, I don't want anybody to get freaked out. I might pull the glasses completely off uh, because they aren't super awesome at computer interaction here. Don't worry, I've already ordered new glasses. I also kept my prescription uh, and I honestly need to do another eye exam soon anyway. Uh, but uh, that's why you see a slightly different looking Rick and, and the glasses that I ordered are kind of a, a prep to see if the company does them correctly. So they'll also be an interim kind of pair before I go all in uh, on an expensive set of glasses. So yeah. I haven't broken a set of glasses, I don't think, since college. And in college, I broke them all the time. Uh, I'm pretty darn good about not setting my glasses on anywhere where I might step or sit when I was not so good uh, a little bit earlier in my life. And so this was a surprise. This was no fun. But honestly, uh, the fact that I knew exactly where my glasses were from years ago uh, was a godsend. So that's my story for Christmas. Hope that you had a slightly better morning than me, uh, at least vis-a-vis -vis your glasses uh, but obviously, I'm not, I'm not in poor spirits for it. It's just that I'm looking at the chat right now, which ostensibly I should be able to read pretty quickly. And you say, so glad to see you. I say, I'm glad to see you too, but I'm not sure I can actually, I'm not sure I could actually see so well. So uh, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it, Mr. Magoo style. Just, oh, all right, let's just give a second here. Uh, at least no one got hurt by the crunchy glasses. No, I mean, the glass didn't break. The glass was uh, was strong. Uh, the the arms the, the 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 mechanics of glasses broke completely. I think I have one arm. I could twist it vertically. I could hold it up like a monocle, uh, and just be uh, that guy with the with a. I guess it's not a monocle. What would you call glasses that just have a hand? But uh, I guess it's just glasses. Hmm. Learning new things. We could try to see if we can get them fitted to my head so I can wear them like Morpheus from the Matrix and just like just fix them to my head without arms. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Phaedra Socrates, don't bury the Wall Street Journal op-ed here. Be real, have a separate show. Reveal the full importance of Miss Khan having to uh, bear her crystal clear stance. I, I'm not covering the Wall Street Journal article here, Phaedrus. Don't worry about that. Uh, if I did the Wall Street Journal article, that would be in a virtual legality, which I would probably tape because I'm just controlling my time uh, this, these particular couple of weeks a little bit more uh, than usual. I'd probably tape that. I'd make it a virtual legality. We'd, we'd premiere it in that three o'clock slot that YouTube was liking in terms of the robots um, uh, for a little bit there. So we might might still do that. I just am not guaranteeing any given thing this particular week. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to suggest we're staying very flexible here in Hogue House. I love doing these things. I want to do them more, uh, but we are trying to make good choices 
so that we don't burn out. <laughs> and if, if you can't tell, you know, that uh, addicted to work short that uh, we did, Chinchilla of Evidence, my awesome editor did uh, for this channel, I, I jokingly say that I, I do this too much and I, I get going too much and I burn out. Uh, but it's it's true. Uh, every bit of life is always striving to find a balance. That was the way it was when you grow up in, in big law and you're trying to figure out what an associate needs to do and the partners will eat your soul if you let them and all this kind of stuff. It's the same for YouTube uh, and this, this second job of mine uh, because, well, you're always incentivized to be making. You're always incentivized to be on here. I love talking with you. I love talking about this stuff. we got 300 people just sitting here chatting with me before we get into the cool stuff about Mickey Mouse. I think that's awesome. I think that's fun. And we have these great conversations. We have these great comments. But you can get to a place where you do it so much, so often, so fast that uh, you, you burn out and then you have these breaks. And I prefer to not have that cadence. Uh, so we'll, we'll be looking at that, but not right now. Not right now. That sounds a lot like heavy lifting and work. And we're here to have fun today. We're doing some hangouts. We're doing some headlines. But don't worry. I'm not going to do Lena Khan's editorial here. Uh, I did get it pinged to me uh, about 100 times uh, when it went up. Or I think when people noticed it, it went up like six days ago, five days ago. And I got it pinged to me yesterday a lot. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Nicholas Starro, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, sir. I hope you had a great one. I hope you're continuing to have a great one. I always like this period through uh, Christmas and New Year's uh, to try to do this, but usually I can't in corporate land because we got deals that are closing by the end of the year. Everything's all set up here uh, at Hogue Law, so we don't have to worry about that other than the usual end of month, start of month stuff. Uh, and so we can we can relax a little bit in this space. Tigerette says exactly what I say. Same, I love the chat community and engaging topics. I love having these conversations. One of the coolest kind of little bits of doing this job and content creation and having these conversations, whatever you want to call it, and that I found very early on is you get to talk about what you want to talk about from my perspective. And then you get comments of a lot of good stuff, a lot of intelligent stuff, especially when you're trying to cultivate reasonable minds can differ and let's not ad hominem attack. Uh, and I love going through the comments. Uh, I have, I have not uh, been able to keep up with all the comments on some videos, but I love having those conversations, I think it is absolutely great. Uh, and so, yeah, this is just this is just fun stuff. Uh, anybody else uh, have any fun glasses stories or Christmas stories or holiday stories in general? Whatever you celebrate, whatever you've been doing over the past week. Uh, I don't know whether you're all at work right now. I don't know whether you've gotten some time off. I hope you do get some time off. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Heather say, may I suggest going to the Ohio State University Optometry for your next pair of glasses? The clinics around town, uh, so head on down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? Uh, we do have a lot of fun college football coming up in just two days. My Michigan Wolverines will play in the national semifinal to see if they can make the national championship game. And my goodness, are you going to hear about it? I don't even know how I will react as a person, as a human being, if somehow my team wins the national championship. Uh, that is going to be crazy. I might just do a stream that's just that. We'll just do headlines about Michigan, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Long ways to go uh, before that. I, I don't want to count any chickens before they are hatched. Uh, so let's see here. <laughs> uh, Phaedra says, I really wish you the best and not to suddenly get a case of burnout when Khan responds. If covering all those attacks on her tired you, you try to get some karma back and cover her. 
I look, I'm going to cover that op-ed in all likelihood. It's just a matter of whether or not I do it this week or whether we have kind of a full comeback of the channel uh, in a little while. And we got people rooting for TCU in my chat. Folks, you are allowed. If you love TCU, you're allowed to root for them, but I'm not going to root for them. <laughs> so uh, Michigan all the way. Go blue. We'll have some fun in a couple days. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <sighs> that would be awesome, says Crazy Cat Queen. Talking about football is always good. I think many of the people here would disagree, but I'm not going to be able to help myself if somehow Michigan were to win. I might not be able to help myself if Michigan just makes the national title game. So I know you're rooting for TCU. Some of you in my chat, I'm not. We'll see how that goes, uh, but it's gonna be it's gonna be fun time. Sharon says, "Yes, Hug, one game at a time." I'm a coach's wife, <laughs> or she called me a coach's wife. I don't know. I think she's calling herself a coach's wife. Yeah, you can't you can't start cashing those checks. Absolutely, absolutely. We got people in here saying OSU go Bucks. Yeah, we'll see how they do. They're gonna face uh, mighty Georgia in the second game of the day. And uh, if if Michigan prevails over TCU, I'll be watching with popcorn in hand, uh, enjoying the show, however it goes. Uh, Nicholas says, since yesterday I celebrated the Greta Thunberg Day, or don't try to out-troll a Gen Z day. Was there some kind of action with Greta on uh, social media? I don't know. I, I can tell you this, folks. I have been uh, trying to separate from my phone as much as possible while still answering work emails and things like that. Uh, and so if you, if there's something happening with respect to a, a, a social media kerfuffle, uh, I, I am not going to be aware of it. We've got some go dogs here. We've got almost every team. Well, we do have every team represented. Michigan, TCU, Georgia, and Ohio State. Everybody has said something about their teams. That's fantastic. Look at that. Look at that breadth of opinion here on the Hoglaw YouTube channel. Absolutely. Just because if you do just headlines about Michigan, will it include Tim Allen reading an ad for the Michigan Tourism Board? So we're not going to do any pure Michigan ads, I don't think, although it's a good idea. Uh, I do think we will be partying. I will pop, I'll will i wear all my Michigan stuff. I'll wear Denard Robinson jerseys. I'll have 16 Michigan hats on. We'll, we'll get uh, some party. We'll see if we can get some maize and blue, like New Year's glasses. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see if we'll have some fun. I'm sure that Mrs. Hoglaw could help hook me up with some ridiculous apparel. Uh, I root for Big Ten always. Down with the SEC, says Perry. We'll see. The SEC is very strong. Very strong. We got we got uh, Greta killed that guy. I can only presume that means metaphorically in some kind of argument. Hey, I didn't see it. So uh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Mary Jane, kerfuffle. Everyone knows the Bucks win. Happy face. I don't I don't know that. Did the Bucks win in November? Hmm. See, I have to think about that game pretty carefully. Not sure. I think one of the teams had five 40-yard touchdown passes. Hmm. All right. In any event. All right. Uncivil laws in the house. Hey, Kurt, you can feel like I have felt as a Clemson fan twice. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll see, Kurt. It's been a long time. Long time in the wilderness for Michigan. Uh, we'll, see if we, we'll see if we get to those high highs or whether we're stuck with a medium high. <laughs> Lovely. I've missed hangouts and headlines. Cheers to a restful holiday. Yeah, that was the choice I made. I put a note up. I should have put a note up further that said, well, look, we're going to just kind of do these hangouts, do these headlines as they come up. It's just that kind of week for me. It turned out that way. And so I said, let's just let's just make it restful and spend time with my girls. And it's been fantastic. Uh, you know, my girls are off from school uh, this week. We have gotten a chance to play a lot of farming games. I know a lot of people had mentioned 
that uh, they had played Harvestella, which was a game I was very much looking forward to, which is the Square Enix farming game. So imagine a Harvest Moon or a Stardew Valley, if that is your preference, combined with the sensibilities of a Final Fantasy game. Uh, and truthfully, I had been able to play it a couple of hours, but I had to bounce to the next thing or got distracted and bounced to the next thing. Who knows? Uh, and it is only during this break period that I've really gotten to dig in and I'm really enjoying it. I wish the Switch had more power because it's got some performance issues. Uh, but it is a really enjoyable game uh, that is, in fact, a cross between kind of a dungeon exploration romp and uh, an economy that runs entirely on making onions for people. Uh, so if you do like those kinds of games, I do recommend Harvestella. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and that has been my relaxing game. And in fact, even Mrs. Hogue Law has been enjoying Harvestella and asked for the soundtrack because it's very piano focused. It's very chill. Uh, and so we've just been trying to really encapsulate that rest and relax, refresh 2023. will be here soon enough. Let's let's not hurry it along. Right. Reasonable Glitter Mass says, how about a virtual legality video with hints for immortality? Are you playing immortality? After Ian came in and photobombed my video games of the year video, which I do have a clip of if you haven't seen on the channel. Ian just deciding to roll in and make fun of me at various portions of the show. Uh, which did go for four hours, and we got my brother out there for four hours, uh, and we had a lot of fun talking about a lot of different video games, some of which you may have heard of, some of which you may not. Immortality is my game of the year. I think it's a seminal work. I think it shows one of the very best things that video games can do with narrative and storytelling. <clears throat> uh, but Ian disagrees. Now, Ian hasn't seen half the game, but Ian that doesn't prevent Ian from being as vociferous as you might expect a criminal defense attorney to be. Uh, and so he rolls in here, making fun of everything. We fight the power, or at least Ian's power in that video. Uh, but can I give tips? <clears throat> can I give a tip to immortality without blowing everything open? Um, use the tools that have been given to you. I think that'll work for right now. <laughs> uh, uh, the other thing I would say about Immortality is that even if you've seen the credits, you probably haven't seen the game. Uh, they might air those credits a little bit too early for what you know and how you know it. Uh, and so I would recommend continuing to play on. When I get the credits, I had about half of the information I needed. Um, but I got sincerely drawn into Immortality in a way that obviously people can tell. It's my game of the year. It is fantastic. Uh, if anybody's interested in storytelling, in narrative, I highly recommend checking that out. And I, if you did see me on Twitter, and I still have this kind of dark, dark blue uh, in the um, in the naming plates here. Uh, if you did see me on Twitter, I've been playing another game called Blacktail, which came out of nowhere. It released like, I don't know, a few days before Christmas. Is a focus home interactive independent game from their independent publishing arms. They didn't make it. They are distributing it. Uh, and it is a... Uh, take on Slavic fairy tales uh, where you are a, a girl in the woods named Yaga, which probably rings a bell if you're familiar with some of these fairy tales. Uh, and you're out in the woods because your sister is missing uh, and the villagers believe that you are responsible because you have a deformed face of some kind. It's not revealed to you when you start the game and you wear a mask all the time. And they believe that the witch of the woods, Baba, is back. Uh, and so it's a game very heavily focused on exploration and narrative and fairy tales and has that fairy tale sensibility uh, with uh, just uh, madness, right? Alice in Wonderland, what am I going to meet next? Uh, talk to mushrooms, that kind of thing. 
Uh, but it's just really, really well done. It's a budget-priced game. And I said this on Twitter, but I think it would probably have made at least my honorable mentions for my Game of the Year list had it released, I don't know, even a week earlier. Uh, because if I had seen it, I'm really, really enjoying it. It is wild. It is cool. Uh, and maybe it's I just love Slavic folktales. I, I don't know if that's a case. It has Rings of the Witcher in it because uh, both companies are Polish uh, that have put these together. I, I recommended a game a few years back called Operencia, uh, which is another game that has kind of Slavic folk tales in them, uh, Slavic fairy tales. And uh, it's uh, it's interesting to see that kind of percolate out through video games. And I, I enjoy it so, so much. Uh, so there you go. That's uh, that's Rick's video game recommendation corner. Uh, but yeah, do use the tools uh, in uh, in Immortality. We got people referencing the, the Baba Yaga. Yeah, and it's... I, I don't think it's exactly the same story and it's, and it's referencing a bunch of different things, aspects of it that you don't quite know which direction it's going to go. And I got a post-it note already here. Very exciting. Oh, well, you know what? This is an excellent post-it note from my daughter um, who, you know, who, who knows? We're going to do a post-mortem on this. She would like me to talk about Avatar. <laughs> so my daughter absolutely loves Avatar and we went and saw Avatar 2 uh, and Avatar 2 is uh, an absolutely gorgeous movie. It's three hours and 20 minutes long. I think any reasonable person could say that that could probably be edited. Uh, but James Cameron, obviously the famous director of Avatar and Titanic and Terminator 2 and Aliens and all these classic movies that did very, very well successfully. I, I, I think he's probably earned his right to edit as uh, fluffily as he would like. Uh, Avatar 2 is a, a movie that we have enjoyed now twice in the theater and are planning to go again with Papa Hogue, who sometimes pops in. Probably not today. I don't think I told him I'm doing an episode today. Uh, and, but I, I do recommend it. I do recommend the experience. It's, it's, it's good in 3D, uh, as the original Avatar was 13 years ago. Uh, but more importantly, I think, unlike a, a Marvel movie, unlike some of the other movies that are very popular or that have become very popular in the last decade, uh, Avatar has a sense of earnestness to it that I really do truly miss uh, in movies. And it has a space whale that I'm in love with and I just yell the name out around the house. Uh, and so if either of those things sound attractive to you, I highly recommend checking it out for, on video game terms, the graphics elements. It, it'll wow you with the underwater stuff and the 3D stuff and, and the color and, and things like that. Uh, it's a bit long in the tooth, but I'm not sure I would actually change that because the stuff that works the best is the stuff that would be the most easily edited out uh, for the plot points. I think I mentioned that on social media, uh, but the oldest Hoagling uh, absolutely loves it. Uh, we have has been putting together Avatar Lego sets, uh, and we just really like the, the fullness of a James Cameron movie. Unlike some of the other stuff that you get to see, story's not perfect, editing's not perfect, uh, but I really want to support more movies like this uh, where you can clearly tell the creator is deeply in love with the world building and the atmosphere and the location in a way that just suffers from so much superficiality uh, in the rest of our movie going experience. Uh, and so I will continue to support uh, this series. I wish it had slightly better music. I will say that James Horner, of course, made the music for the first and has since passed. Uh, but they really didn't stretch their legs on the music in Avatar 2. Uh, but I will tell you this. I absolutely love uh, seeing my daughter have so much uh, so much joy come from this medium 
in movies or television or video games that I love so much. Uh, and I think Avatar 2 is well worth it. Uh, and like I said, we'll probably be going to it three times, I would guess, which is not something that we have done in, I don't know, half a decade uh, for, for any kind of movie. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a good movie. I think I've seen people ask if it's okay in flat. Yes, we saw it both. We saw it in 3D and we saw it flat. Honestly, I, if you've watched a movie in 2D and 3D, uh, the 2D version has better color pop. Uh, the resolution is more apparent, so you get all of the kind of benefits of a, of a 4K-type image. Uh, and so to some extent, I like that better because Pandora is a very colorful place. The 3D, however, is done excellently. It's not that kind of layered 3D that looks like crap that you might see in post-conversion movies or things along those lines. So I highly recommend it both ways. Uh, the one way we haven't watched it in yet, which is why we might go to it a third time, is high frame rate. Uh, so there is a version that is at double the frame rate. I think it's 48 frames per second. Uh, which takes some getting used to. I remember watching the high frame rate versions of the Hobbit movies when they released, uh, but I am looking forward to seeing it because however you feel about the story uh, or the, the the long section where it's kind of a day in the life of a Navi, uh, the action sequences are second to none. James Cameron is perhaps one of the best action directors that ever lived. Uh, and there's some really cool action scenes in Avatar 2 uh, that I think are going to look amazing in high frame rate version. So my daughter loves it. I love it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think I wound up giving it like a, a 7 out of 10 on, on Twitter. And I think actually it's probably grown a little bit in my esteem since then because it is so complete. Uh, it isn't that kind of thing that's just fluff. You know, you go, you watch um, uh, the new Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and it's just gone as soon as it came, right? It's just cotton candy fluff. And I do think Avatar has a little bit more uh, meat to its bones. And uh, I do recommend it for that. I, I do like to support things that are different. Uh, and certainly Avatar is that. Now, I know half the internet is like, Hogue doesn't know what he's talking about because a lot of you like to hate on things. And if you didn't like it, I'm sorry. Uh, but we certainly liked it in Hogue House. I think there's a lot to recommend it. Uh, but there you go. Avatar 2. Hopefully that met my post-it notes requirements for talking about Avatar uh, but she truly, truly loves it. And that's always awesome to see in your kid's eyes, most definitely. Uh, and uh, yes, <laughs> tiny trifle. Seven out of 10 isn't that great of a movie rating. What is your 10 out of 10 rating, Top Gun? I did give Maverick a 10 out of 10. Um, I, I think Maverick is a more propulsive movie. Uh, but I think Avatar 2, if I had to give a major criticism to it, the thing I wasn't expecting was that uh, much like if you think of something like Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3, uh, or even maybe Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, Avatar 2, unlike Avatar 1, seems to be the first half of a six-hour sequel, that Avatar 2 and Avatar 3 are going to fit together uh, in a way that makes Avatar 2 feel a little bit less complete than Avatar 1. Uh, and Avatar 2 is certainly smaller in scope in terms of conflict, in terms of what we're talking about, than Avatar 1. Now, Avatar 1 is you know, a battle for the world. Uh, and things like that. Avatar 2 is not that. And I think to its credit, it isn't just a copy of Avatar 1. Um, it has a lot of elements that are similar, but with different circumstances and different character interactions. And I think that's by far the best way to do a, a sequel like that. It reminds me a little bit of Aliens in reverse. Um, it gets smaller rather than larger. And uh, I think that uh, I think that's going to be a good thing. And I think Avatar 2 is going to be a great thing potentially worthy of a much higher score, 
depending on what Avatar 3 does. It's kind of a connected story, I think. So there you go. I think that uh, I think that Avatar is well worth your time and money. Uh, but uh, yeah, Maverick, Maverick is my preferred popcorn experience. You can get that at home though, right now. Uh, in fact, I just watched that last night just to just to put uh, put the final button on that. Hope I'm not too late for the hangout. We're still hanging out. We're going to talk law in a minute here, Annalie, but we can hang out after that as well. It's hangouts and headlines. Uh, Crazy Cat Queen says, I think Avatar 2 was purposefully made incomplete because it's my understanding there are two more Avatar movies. Three more, actually, is the is the current plan. Uh, but Avatar 3, much like uh, a number of other movies, uh, was taped, was taped, it's showing my age, was filmed, <coughs> excuse me, at the same time as Avatar 2. Uh, and so I believe Avatar 3 already has a work print in place, and that's scheduled for two years from now. And I also believe part of Avatar 4 has been filmed. Uh, so I think they've, they've planned out a quintology uh, through Avatar 5. They were they were worried. So Avatar 5, I don't think was greenlit. I don't think Avatar 4 was fully greenlit either until they saw exactly what kind of money Avatar 2 would make. Avatar 2, I think at this point in time, is like the fifth or sixth fastest to a billion dollars. They reached it in two weeks. Uh, so Avatar, the series, is doing just fine. Uh, and so that was something I was going to tell my daughter actually later today is that Avatar is a very, very successful uh, and it is going to undoubtedly get the rest of the movies greenlit. So you're, you're stuck with uh, Jake Sully and family for the considerable future as more and more Avatar movies get made. But I think that's overall, <coughs> excuse me, a good thing. Said my voice is back, but maybe not fully. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much. My favorite James Cameron movie, says Chrissy Fletcher, is True Lies. Huh. I would never have guessed that someone's favorite James Cameron movie would be True Lies. Awesome. I have not seen True Lies in decades. Decades. I can tell you that the oldest Hoagling's favorite James Cameron movie is Titanic. Uh, she absolutely adores Titanic. Uh, but she loves Avatar as well. Best Cameron movies, Aliens, Terminator 2, and The Abyss. Avatar 2 should have come out in 2015 or earlier. Certainly, I don't think 13 years was the intent for doing a good sequel to, uh, to a movie, but it actually winds up working pretty well with the storyline in terms of where they wanted to get that, uh, that family to in terms of age and the connections that they want to make. Avatar 3 is sitting in James Cameron's VCR player somewhere. I think one of the rumors was that he had turned in a work print for Avatar 3 that was nine hours long. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh whoa uh how did james cameron manage to garner enough investment for three avatar movies it's crazy expensive to cgi well you might recall avatar was the most uh highly revenued movie in history until endgame came along uh and so it's pretty it's it's pretty available to get investment for those kinds of things when you're james cameron and when people bet against you on titanic and you made them a fortune and then people bet against you on avatar and you made them a fortune uh so i have i have no doubt that he was able to swing that uh, but it was a big investment, right? It was a big investment for the, I think, two, three, and four should be thought of together. Uh, and yeah, it, Avatar 2 is, is already making money. You know, you, you pass a billion dollars two weeks from your release, you're going to do all right. Is it Endgame's a billion in four days? No. Uh, but Avatar 2 is more, more than okay in terms of how it's being received in the market. And there's definitely going to be, there's definitely going to be, uh, an Avatar 3, at least. I would suspect there'll be Avatar 4 and 5, and then they'll, they'll close up the Avatar business. <laughs> but we will see. Uh, are we now assuming James Cameron is going to speed up work or he's become immortal? Well, the thing is, 2 and 3 were filmed together. 
And and I think if you go and you watch Avatar 2, you'll see that uh, it, it seems like it's half of what it will be a two and three duology in the middle of the Avatar series. So that's done-ish. Uh, and then Avatar 4 and 5, we'll see. I think James Cameron has suggested he might executive produce and not direct those movies. Uh, will he be able to resist? I don't know. I don't know. Carlo says, don't listen to this idiot. Avatar wasn't worth your time. Too long and poor writing. It's a visual marvel, but nothing else. It is very long. I wouldn't I wouldn't call the writing poor, um, but it's not it's not anything super special. Uh, but the world building and the uh, environment is certainly as much or if not. Uh, well, maybe not as much, but at least considerably as important as, as the visual spectacle. A lot of visuals, uh, but also a very realized lived in kind of world that I know a lot of us um, love about Lord of the Rings, love about Star Wars uh, pre-Disney era. Uh, and I think that that's something we don't see a lot anymore. Marvel barely feels lived in. Marvel feels like it's being created on the fly every single movie. And that's only become more and more of an issue in phase four. Um, and that's really the series that has dominated the, the movie landscape for a long time now. So I like that there's a sincerity to Avatar, even if some people find it goofy. Uh, I like that there is a clearly work done to think about the ecology and think about how the planet operates. Uh, and honestly, I, I think the visuals of, you know, big mechanized military versus versus the Navi is something that's just really cool and will continue to be cool through the series. I don't think that's going to go away. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I respect your opinion, Carla. I found it more worth the worth it than you did, but that's OK. Uh, Mary Beth says five. I never saw the first one. However, I did ride the rides at Disney and I guess that counts. Certainly counts for Disney. And you know what? Let's make that our segue. We got a lot of people talking about Avatar, uh, writing one word on Obtanium. The word on Obtanium does not appear in Avatar 2. <laughs> uh, uh, Mary Jane, Christy, I agree. People do not appreciate the Abyss and that technology not only contributed to T2, but Jurassic Park. Abyss is fun. Uh, Abyss is a little dour for my liking, uh, but I do enjoy the Abyss. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny here. Zoe Zaldana says she finished her filming for the movies uh, in 2018. Uh, it does look like Avatar 2 uh, finished filming about four years ago. So it does it does sound like that. You saw the references to that if you were following it. Uh, SSS uh, Har says Avatar definitely started slow because of the World Cup. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It has legs. I mean, Avatar 2 is still selling pretty well uh, even now. Uh, and so, all right. But let's talk a little bit about Disney. Uh, David Wu, although totally different genre, I, to I really love the Studio Ghibli film movies for that lived-in feel. Yeah, I think I think that's a great I think that's a great reference, David. And thank you for the super chat. They do have a feeling like the story is only a part of the world that they're in, right? And that's exactly what I'm trying to capture when I say that 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 Avatar feels like the world extends past the corners of the screen, and that to me is such an important feeling that we just so rarely get. Uh, in movies anymore, especially when you're talking about speculative fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever it is. Uh, and Avatar 2 is less science-y than Avatar 1, which was also not terribly science-y, but had a little bit more science elements to it. Uh, and I, I just love that feeling, and I think we don't get it near enough. Uh, and so I think Avatar 2 feels like, okay, this place exists, and the next thing that they're going to show us is going to be something that fits in with everything else because it's been thought through. Uh, and maybe there's a decade of time that is contributing to that and, and my feelings there. 
Uh, but I do think that comes across on the screen uh, and you feel like you are in good hands, even if you find the story to be simplistic, even if you find it to be uh, not terribly compelling, it exists in a place that is real and gets you to that, that place where you can have your disbelief uh, entirely covered by feeling like you're in some kind of creative control. <laughs> <laughs> feeling like it's not just being handpicked and put together uh, on the fly, which of course is is the main reason to me why the Disney Star Wars movies don't work, is that the the seams are so apparent that whatever is happening is just happening because this guy thinks this plot is important right now and it doesn't feel like a world at all. Thank you so much for the super chat. HP, H&H always brightens my day. Thank you. I love doing these. It brightens my day. Thanks for hopping on in the mornings. I shouldn't get a lot of credit this week or probably next, but we're going to hop on when we have something cool to say. And on that note, uh, let's only Hogue would describe a movie as dour. I can't believe I'm the only one. I can't believe I'm the only one. Abyss is dour. I mean, I, that's what word pops into my head when I think of the abyss uh, is, is, is that kind of darkness. Uh, but yeah. All right. Let's talk about Disney. So Disney owns Avatar. Disney has uh, making some money on Avatar, much more than it's made in the Marvel movie business or the animated movie business. I've watched Strange World, which I think was out for six minutes and that they never advertised, uh, but that hit Disney Plus. And I think I understand why it was out for five minutes and was never advertised. They made some interesting choices in their animation unit uh, in the last few years. And I think, honestly, it needs to be looked at again uh, for those particular movies. If you like Strange World, more power to you. Uh, but that is like Lightyear, just a kind of where creativity goes to die kind of movie for me. Just just very boring uh, in terms of what they're capable of putting together. But speaking of boring, let's talk about copyright law. But let's try not to make it boring. Let's do that here. And I'll try to pay attention to the chat if you have questions on this. Uh, but this is one of those things that comes up a lot. We've actually covered the Copyright Act uh, and public domain works and things like that in a number of different places. But I thought this was a great jumping off point. The New York Times is talking about it. And we can talk about it here. You've seen, I think, trailers for the serial killing Winnie the Pooh. And essentially, when you come out of copyright, you enter what we call the public domain. Uh, and at that point, anybody can make something based off of your prior copyrighted intellectual works uh, and do whatever they want with it, give or take. Uh, and that's going to come up here in this story, as well as notions of what you can't do with it, which we'll talk about, and notions of what happens when you trademark a copyrighted image. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. So the New York Times, paper of record, always perfectly right, right? Definitely what we found in headline. Mickey's copyright adventure. Early Disney creation will soon be public property. The version of the iconic character from Steamboat Willie will enter the public domain in 2024, but those trying to take advantage could end up in a legal mousetrap. That's right. Consult your local counsel if you decide to do anything with another party's intellectual property, even after it entered the public domain, <laughs> especially a company as litigious and, um, well, aggressive as Disney has been in the recent past. Here's Steamboat Willie. We recognize him. Look at him. There's Mickey Mouse. He's driving a boat. He's having a grand time. There is nothing soft and cuddly about the way Disney protects the characters it brings to life. This is a company that once forced a Florida daycare center to remove an unauthorized Minnie Mouse mural. In 2006, Disney told a stonemason that carving Winnie the Pooh into a child's gravestone would violate its copyright. The company pushed so hard for an extension of copyright protections in 1998 that the result was derisively nicknamed the Mickey Mouse Protection Act. That's actually the Sonny Bono Act. 
uh, if you aren't familiar with those names. But this is a great jumping off point to point out that Disney has long driven copyright protections in the United States. There are a lot of people that will come into this chat or comments to another video that I do, and they will talk about the fact that corporations run America and our entire government is taken over and these kinds of things. I don't subscribe to that level of conspiracy theory, theorizing, but, but one exception could be that Disney essentially by itself changed the entire way that copyright protection uh, was covered in the United States. So to talk about that for just a second, let's go to the copyright office that tells you how long a copyright protection extends, especially for corporate ownership. So we got here copyright office fact. This is the, the official fact from them. How long does a copyright last? Well, it's generally life of the author plus 70 years, which is a huge amount of time. But well, Walt Disney Company isn't going to die. So there's a separate rule for corporations. And that is 95 years, which sounds simple enough, but that's not really how it went down. So 95 years, also a hellaciously long period of time, arguably too long. But if we look at how it's actually written in the act, it's any copyright it, that existed before 1978, which is two years after this act went into uh, effect. So it gets passed in 76. It gets effective in 78. If your copyright exists before then, which certainly Mickey Mouse does, you get to have it for 28 years, which matches up with what the copyright protection had been doing at that point in time. But in the case of any work copyrighted by a corporate body, the proprietor of such copyright, copyright holder, shall be entitled to a renewal and extension of the copyright in such work for the further term of 67 years. Now, if that sounds bass-ackwards to you, that the renewal term would be twice as long as the actual coverage term, well, that's Disney at work, right? Disney goes and says in 1998 or whenever this actually happens, it's somewhere in the 90s, I believe, uh, to say, all right, we're going to extend this. 76 Copyright Act carried over the system from 1909 that had already made some changes where the length of the renewal term was increased to 47 years. The 1998 Copyright Term Extension Act increased the renewal term another 20 years to 67 years. Thus, the maximum total term of copyright protection for works already protected has been increased from 56 years, 28 plus 28, to 95, 28 plus 67. So that's Disney doing its work. And if that sounds confusing enough, there were other issues with the extensions that happened throughout this entire period of time of the 20th century, where any given copyright was just continually extended. Before passage of the 76 Act, Congress enacted a series of nine acts that provided interim extensions for works whose copyright protection began between September 19th, 1906 and December 31st, 1918. So this is before Steamboat Willie, but you can see how the U.S. government is just kind of retroactively doing this stuff for copyrights. Example, a work that first secured federal copyright on October 15th, 1907 and was renewed in 35 would have fallen to the public domain in 63. The first act extended it to 65, the second to 67, the third to 68, the fourth to 69, the fifth to 1970, the, se the sixth to 71, the seventh to 72, the eighth to 74, and the ninth to 76. And the 1976 acts would then extend the copyright all the way to 82, 75 years from the end of the year in which the copyright was originally secured. So Congress just kind of passed the ball for years and 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 years. But it wasn't until the late 1990s that Disney pushed for this 95-year version of protection. And this created such a stink, the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, that it became apparent a couple of years back, at least, that Disney wasn't going to be able to pull this off again. So hence the headline here 
that Steamboat Willie is going to enter the public domain. Now, when are they going to enter it? It's January 1st, uh, 2024, uh, because the 95th uh, anniversary will be in 2023, and you lose copyright protection at the start of the next year. Uh, but that's the state of affairs of United States copyright protection. So when people come in and say, hey, this all needs to be reformed, this needs to be looked at, and I tell you, well, it absolutely does. There's a hundred different things that could happen in the Copyright Act. Congress has never made terribly well-informed, great choices on this particular score. And if you want to accuse corporations of really pulling the strings on this, at least with respect to Disney, you 100% can. That is what Disney did. They wanted another 20 some odd years to have Mickey Mouse under protection. They got that 20 years. And only now do they have in 2023, 24, uh, the notion that they're going to lose protection of Mickey Mouse. Or or are they, right? That's what the New York Times is writing about here. They talk about a legal mouse trap. Now that's just funny wordplay for talking about Mickey Mouse, of course, but it also is true. Okay, continuing with the New York Times, I'm seeing in Reddit forums and on Twitter where people, creative types, are getting excited about the possibilities that somehow it's going to be open season on Mickey, said Aaron J. Moss, a partner at Gleenberg Glusker in Los Angeles who specializes in copyright and trademark law. But that is a misunderstanding is of what is happening with the copyright. Yeah, I think people generally see these headlines and say Mickey Mouse is open. Uh, but as you can imagine, and we're going to talk about this more in just a minute, it's not that Mickey Mouse is open. It's that the version of Mickey Mouse in Steamboat Willie is open. And then as you kind of follow along with the Disney release schedule 95 years forward, every other aspect of Mickey Mouse will open on that timeline, but not at the start. So that's where people, I think, are getting confused. This guy is open, not the guy you might think of as Mickey Mouse right now. And that's where litigation comes in, most definitely. The matter is more complicated than it appears, and those who try to capitalize on the expiring Steamboat Willie copyright could easily end up in a legal mousetrap. You used it twice, or at least your editors did. The question is where Disney tries to draw the line on, enfor uh, on enforcement, Mr. Moss said, and if courts get involved to draw that line judicially. Now, interestingly enough, one thing that you can see from corporations and intellectual property holders in general is that they don't always love it when the courts get involved because that actually sets bright line rules. And to some extent, being a copyright holder, having intellectual property, uh, the gray area is useful to you, right? We talk about largesse a lot here in this space, which is nobody quite knows whether playing a video game uh, is a protected free use kind of thing. You're transformative in how you operate that game or whether it's a derivative work based on all of this intellectual property that's created by another. I have told you that I think it's far closer to a derivative work. And I think that anybody that makes content that doesn't have a true license is putting themselves under the sword of Damocles. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly and I would have publishers actually give content creators who are doing marketing for them a license, but it's to the owner's uh, power to have it ambigu ambiguous. So almost none of these things get run all the way up the judiciary flagpole because they don't want to know the answer. So yes, you could get into litigation, but Disney doesn't really want a court to say no. And so they will be threatening and they will be cajoling and they will be fighting as Disney does with people that do these various things. The New York Times started with all of those stories about tombstones and murals and the time that Lion King got rented out and Disney went crazy uh, because... Disney is known for being aggressively litigious on its intellectual property, which is great. That's fine. You can do that if you're a copyright holder. But as Mickey comes out of copyright, they are not the copyright holder of those versions of Mickey. They have entered the public domain. Disney has never had to deal with this before. So it'll be interesting to see what they do from a litigation perspective. 
Only one copyright is expiring, explains the New York Times. It covers the original version of Mickey Mouse as seen in Steamboat Willie, an eight-minute short with little plot. This non-speaking Mickey has a rat-like nose, rudimentary eyes, no pupils, and a long tail. He can be naughty. In one Steamboat Willie scene, he torments a cat. In another, he uses a terrified goose as a trombone. Later versions of the character remain protected by copyrights, including the sweeter, rounder Mickey with red shorts and white gloves, most familiar to audiences today. They will enter the public domain at different points over the coming decades. And somebody somewhere has a timeline of the Mickey character editions that are being made so that they can use them if they so choose in that capacity. But to talk about this a little bit more, this is where we have to talk a little bit about Sherlock Holmes. Before we do, I want to capture this super chat. Nicholas says, same with labor law. You don't want to set an accidental precedent. You know what you have, but not what you're going to get. Yeah, and I think that's the nature of the judiciary for a lot of areas of law. I think it drives people crazy. Uh, I think people come into my comments and say, why can't you answer this particular question on, oh, I don't know, user interfaces and interactions with cheating software and whether or not they are definitively uh, infringing with respect to the bungee cases, for example. And I say, well, look, I, here's the theory why it would be infringing. I think it's very strong. I think they have a strong argument on this and this and this. But generally, they would be okay with dropping this if the other side drops it, if they stop sales, if, if they get something preliminary, a settlement of some kind. And so they don't want to actually set a yes, no answer on this. And most cheating software companies don't want to go through that big effort either. The, the company that's currently fighting Bungie, I think it's Phoenix something, uh, is, seems to be an outlier there. And they might well set a precedent because they appear to be going all the way to the end. But we'll see. We'll see if that holds for a long enough period of time. There's a lot of areas of law where one side or the other is advantaged by having ambiguity. And if that exists, you'll see that ambiguity more and more. So, yes. Thank you, Nicholas. I appreciate the super chat. Uh, Tigerette, Hogue, could you speak to the relevance, if any, on the use of Steamboat Willie in the movie opening credits and use of Steamboat Willie in park entertainment shows as part of a copyright strategy. I don't know. Could I? Hmm. Hmm. We will get there. I promise. <laughs> yes. We've talked about it a little bit in virtual reality in the past, but it's not a copyright strategy. It's a trademark strategy uh, for the most part. So we will, uh, we will talk about that most definitely when we get there. Uh, but Disney has tried now to set up Steamboat Willie's Mickey Mouse as a trademark of the company in a way that would allow them to do an end around of copyright limitation rules. We'll, uh, we'll see. There might be some legal tests coming uh, in the near future. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. First, though, I want to talk about characters, right? And we did an episode of Virtual Legality, which touched on this briefly a few years back, I want to say, when Enola Holmes, the Netflix movie uh, that uh, got made, uh, I think, I want to say a few years ago, uh, was sued by the Conan Doyle estate for violating their copyrights in Sherlock Holmes. Now, Sherlock Holmes is, is very old, uh, but in 2014 here, we, we get this kind of setup for how we are to think about characters uh, moving forward and the kind of additions that they have, which is which is pretty definitive. So let's talk about this uh, just to set the, the foundation so we can understand what we're talking about vis-a-vis -vis Steamboat Willie. So here's a decision of the Seventh Circuit, uh, Klinger versus Conan Doyle estate, Arthur Conan Doyle published his first Sherlock Holmes story in 1887 and his last in 1927. There were 56 stories in all, plus four novels. The final 10 stories were published between 1923 and 1927. As a result of statutory extensions of copyright protection culminating in the 1998 Copyright Term Extension Act, that's the Sonny Bono Act, the American copyrights on those final stories, copyrights owned by Doyle's estate, the appellant, 
will not expire until 95 years after the date of original publication between 2018 to 2022. And this is a few years before that. This is like 2013 or 2014. Depending on the original publication date of each story, the copyrights on the other 46 stories and the four novels, all being works published before 1923, have expired. So this is a situation very similar to what we're looking at and very similar to what any kind of long-standing character is going to look at as they come into the public domain, right? So Sherlock Holmes is written about for a long period of time between 1887 and 1927. Mickey Mouse has been iterated upon for 95 years. Uh, and so you've got a whole bunch of different aspects of that character. And what the, the, the Conan Doyle estate argued for is that if there is a character that has that kind of evolution, what they called a uh, round character, we'll get to that in just a second, then the Copyright Act, even though these characters are entering the public domain, should protect them throughout until they are finished being written about, uh, and that the 95 years should extend to the end point of the characters rather than the beginning point of the characters because they are so round. They aren't just flat facades uh, that don't have character growth. Now, you'll see here, as we just talked about in the New York Times article in the summary, the court is going to reject this notion as essentially crazy talk. Uh, so we have this writer, Klinger, who is making stories about Sherlock Holmes using only the ones that are in the public domain. Instead of obtaining a license, Klinger sued the estate seeking a declaratory judgment that he is free to use material in the 50 Sherlock Holmes stories and novels that are no longer under copyright, though he may use nothing in the 10 stories still under copyright that has sufficient originality to be copyrightable, which means at least a tiny bit of originality. So as an example, if you've got a character that enters the public domain, but they don't uh, otherwise evidence in Sherlock Holmes case, maybe the first couple of stories didn't talk about his uh, cocaine or heroin usage, right? That that doesn't happen in those early stories. Then if you have public domain rights to Sherlock Holmes, but not public domain rights to those later stories, you couldn't have that copied over into your work without infringing on the copyright of the character. And I use that not as an example of what actually happened because I think that's actually introduced pretty early on uh, in Sherlock Holmes, but just as an example. Another example is you see the Winnie the Pooh murder movie right now. Winnie the Pooh doesn't have his red shirt because the red shirt on Winnie the Pooh doesn't come in to play until a few years later. So that doesn't enter the public domain at the same time as Winnie the Pooh. The same thing will be happening with Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse. And so that's why this is kind of important to understand, even though the copyright infringement concepts here about fictional characters and aspects that are introduced at different times is not anything that the court system is really going to be great at dealing with, at least consistently. Now, they, they argue the judgment on subject matter jurisdiction. We don't care about jurisdictional questions. The second ground is that if there is jurisdiction, the estate is entitled to judgment. They're entitled to win because it argues copyright on a complex character in a story such as Sherlock Holmes or Dr. Watson, whose full complexity is not revealed until a later story, remains under copyright until the later story falls into the public domain. A complex character shouldn't get a lack of protection until they are fully completed as a character. Now, obviously, this is crazy talk. This would be an extra 40 years of copyright through no avenue of the actual U.S. Copyright Act. Uh, but this is what they tried to push. You understand why the, the Conan Doyle estate makes money off of these things. They don't want to make less money. And so they would like to have licenses be required. Now, the court says we cannot find any basis in statute or case law for extending a copyright beyond its expiration. When a story falls into the public domain, story elements, including characters covered by the expired copyright, 
become fair game for follow-on authors, as held in a prior case, a case much like this one. Uh, the court ruled that a copyright affords protection only for original works of authorship, and consequently, copyrights in derivative works secure protection only for the incremental additions of originality contributed by the authors of the derivative work. So you're a derivative author of your own stuff as you write a series here. So if you add that red shirt, that gets protected. That's original. That's new. But it doesn't go to protect Winnie the Pooh in its original instance. The copyrights on the derivative works corresponding to the copyrights on the 10 last Sherlock Holmes stories were not extended by virtue of the incremental additions of originality in those derivative works. And the Copyright Office is, is pretty clear on this now. And so it is in our case. The 10 Holmes Watson stories in which copyright persists are derivative from the earlier stories. So only original elements added in the later stories remain protected. The estate argues that cre creativity will be discouraged if we don't allow such an extension, but the court pushes back on that saying, hey, extending copyright protection is a two-edged sword from the standpoint of inducing creativity is it would reduce the incentive of subsequent authors to create derivative works by shrinking the public domain. Now, in my preference here, I would have the court say it might be, it might be discouraged. It might be better to have it extended. It might be better that your rule were law, but we're a court. We're the judiciary. We don't make law. That is a public policy kind of concept. Go talk to Congress. The court doesn't say that. Instead, it argues it on the merits. I wouldn't do that, but hey, it's still useful for our educational purposes here. Most copyrighted works include some and often a great deal of public domain material, words, phrases, data, entire sentences, quoted material, and so forth. The smaller the public domain, the more work is involved in the creation of new work. And if you shrink that public domain, you're going to shrink a lot of creativity. The estate asks us to distinguish between flat and round fictional characters, potentially a sharper distinction than the other one it urges, as we noted at the beginning of the opinion, which is between simple and complex. They argue that the estate defines flat characters oddly as ones completely and finally described in the first works in which they appear. Flat characters thus don't evolve. Round characters do. Holmes and Watson, the estate argues, were not fully rounded off until the last story written by Doyle. Gord, you never like to hear this from the judge. What this has to do with copyright law eludes us. So you, you have the court here saying, we're not talking about the nature of world building or character creation or creativity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's not part of the copyright law. And so they finish off by saying, we can imagine the Doyle estate is being concerned that a modern author might write a story in which Sherlock Holmes was disparaged, perhaps by being depicted as a drug dealer. He was, of course, a cocaine user or as an idiot detective like Inspector Clouseau of the Pink Panther movies. And that someone who read the story might be deterred from reading Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories because he would realize that he couldn't read them without puzzlingly confusedly over the true character of Sherlock Holmes. The analogy would be trademark dilution. And this is an area where people get really, really confused. And I would have perhaps even the legislature make some better distinctions between trademark and copyright. But we try to cover the difference here. And one of those differences is that trademarks can get diluted. Trademarks are marks uh, or service marks, anything in the mark category that are designed to tell you where something comes from. The designation of origin uh, is, is the trademark kind of rule. Copyright is the protection of creative expression. Uh, and so the distinction here is that trademarks can be diluted. If you just allow someone out in the space to use the same name that you use or the same logo type or whatever, then it's going to be more confusing for consumers to decide whether you made something or whether somebody else did that's using that same logo or name or et cetera. Copyright doesn't have that same kind of notion. Or as the court says, there is no comparable doctrine of copyright law. Parodies or burlesques of copyrighted works 
may or may not be deemed infringing depending on circumstances, but there is no copyright infringement of a story or character that is not under copyright. There's no concept of diluting a copyright. It protects only the expression, not the idea. Copyright only protects the story of Sherlock Holmes, not the concept of Sherlock Holmes. And worse, when it comes out of that protection time period, it becomes completely public domain. Trademark doesn't have a time period if you stay on it and you otherwise protect the value of your trademark from dilution and other aspects of losing it, then you can have a trademark forever. Walt Disney Company isn't going to lose its ability to call itself Walt Disney Company when all this happens. It's just that the creative expression of a cartoon mouse driving a, a cartoon boat is going to fall into the public domain in a way that Mickey Mouse and Disney is undoubtedly a little bit concerned by. But this is very important, that copyright is not trademark. And we'll see why in just a minute. Now, as I drink some tea here, is everybody following along? I I, I know that's a lot of legalese. I know we're reading directly from a court case on this, uh, but I want to make sure we're all up to speed because this is an important aspect of what we're talking about, that characters do evolve. We know this, but that each aspect of a character kind of falls into public domain as it's introduced and that they don't get protection of Mickey Mouse just because they made a Mickey Mouse show you know, last year. Uh, but they can start to try to continue to protect new and different elements, which is why one of the reasons you see, as somebody mentioned earlier, them used in shows or used in different capacities is to try to establish that this use, this function is somehow new and to at bare minimum create a kind of muddy fog over what it is that you have the rights to so that they don't get kicked directly out of court. Because if you have to go through a court trial with Walt Disney Company, chances are you're going to back off right? So if they can make it muddy enough to survive a summary dismissal, then the hope from the Disney litigator side of things is that they can force people to answer to cease and desist letters and otherwise make some examples of folks out in litigation land, which I think will probably undoubtedly come to pass. Uh, but we'll see on that. <laughs> uh, did I say Mickey has a problem with it? Yes, as a, as a name for Disney. The mouse has a problem with it. Uh, uh, Tigerette, yes, I didn't realize how much copyright and trademark are distinct. Very distinct. Trademark doesn't have a time limit. Trademark is for origin of things. And so what one of the things that we will see they're trying to do, and we'll talk about this, is that they're trying to take Mickey Mouse in Steamboat Willie and make him a trademark of their company so that they can get protection through the trademark laws, not the copyright laws, and try to essentially do an end round, uh, the, the, the loss of the copyright protection of, in particular, that version of Mickey Mouse. So we will get there in just a minute. I just want to make sure everybody's up to speed. So let's continue with this New York Times article. Disney has regularly monetized the character, not necessarily as a program of copyright management, at least initially, but to keep up with the time, said Jane C. Ginsburg, an authority on intellectual property law who teaches at Columbia University. I wonder what what, what does it take to become an authority on something? What, 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 what are the qualifications on that? If you, if you teach intellectual property law, I think... That's pretty good. I don't know what gets you the extra phrasing of authority, but it is interesting when you get quotes. Oftentimes they'll ask you what you want to be titled. So authority is interesting. So here's a Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey, obviously looking different than Steamboat Willie. Uh, he's he's full color. He's rounded. Uh, and this will be years after Steamboat Willie comes into the public domain. That version will. The expiration of the Steamboat Willie copyright means the black and white short can be shown without Disney's permission and even resold by third parties. There may not be much sales value left, however. Disney posted it for free on YouTube years ago. It also means that anyone can make use of the film and the original Mickey to further expression, to create new stories and artwork. And it doesn't even really necessarily need to be to further expression. You can do whatever you want with it, right? It's in the full-on public domain. 
Winnie the Pooh, another Disney property, offers a window into what could happen. This year, the 1926 children's book, Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne, came into the public domain. An upstart filmmaker has since made a low-budget live-action slasher film called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, in which the pudgy yellow bear turns feral. In one scene, Pooh and his friend Piglet use chloroform to incapacitate a bikini-clad woman in a hot tub and then drive a car over her head. Spoiler alert, I guess. Well, there you go. Something to look forward to. Disney has no copyright recourse as long as the filmmaker adheres to the 1926 material and does not use any elements that came later. Pooh's recognizable red shirt, for instance, was added in 1930. Fathom Events will give Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, directed by Reese Waterfield, uh, Waterfield, a one-day theatrical release in the United States on February 15th. One-day theatrical release. Nice. Here's where it gets tricky. Disney also holds trademarks on its characters, including the Steamboat Willie version of Mickey Mouse, and trademarks never expire as long as companies keep submitting the proper paperwork. A copyright covers a specific creation, unauthorized copying, but trademarks are designed to protect against consumer confusion to provide consumers assurance about the source and quality of a creation. Boiled down, any public domain use of the original Mickey cannot be perceived as coming from Disney, Ms. Ginsburg explained. This protection is strong, she added, because the character, even in his early form, has such close association with the company. People glance at those ears and smile and automatically associate it with Disney. And, of course, they have added Steamboat Willie to their Walt Disney Animation Studios title card for at least since Frozen, maybe before. And so you can see that this was an effort by Disney to more associate Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse with the trademark concept. That if you see Steamboat Willie, you think Disney, so that if they had to fight it for some use of Steamboat Willie in the future that we can't otherwise guess at, then they could say not that we have a copyright in Steamboat Willie, because obviously we don't, because we're good corporate actors and that has expired, but instead that it is a trademarked version of Mickey Mouse designed to express that this particular product or service is a product or service coming from the Walt Disney Company, or more specifically, Walt Disney Animation Studios, And if somebody uses it and they aren't Walt Disney, that they can sue for trademark infringement rather than copyright infringement or trademark dilution, giving Disney an out, so they hope, to sue over these things and at least create a muddled mess over whether somebody can use Steamboat Willie or not. Ironically, the trademark usage strongly encourages the blood and honey approach to things that are going to use this copyrighted material, right? If you make something that is so obviously not Walt Disney Company's product, they would never approve a use of Steamboat's Willie or whatever you want to think about using the Mickey Mouse version of Steamboat Willie in that he's a murderer or he's a, I don't even know, other bad things that I'm not going to go into lest YouTube lower its provincial hammer on me, that if you get so far afield from what Walt Disney would approve, you might be more protected because, well, It's crazy. (laughs) And you know, Disney would ever do that. In 2007, Walt Disney Animation Studios redesigned its logo to incorporate the Steamboat Willie Mouse. So that's 15 years ago. It has appeared before every movie the unit has released since, including Frozen and Encanto, deepening the old character's association with the company. The logo itself is also protected by a trademark. In addition, Disney sells Steamboat Willie merchandise, including socks, backpacks, mugs, stickers, shirts, and collectibles. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey most likely does not run afoul of Disney's trademarks because no reasonable person would ever believe that Disney would authorize that kind of story. So as I said, Disney is in in effect encouraging you to be really blasphemous with their intellectual property, else run the risk of doing something that invokes their litigatory ire. 
whose face is also slightly distorted in the film. Ever since Mickey Mouse's first appearance in the 1928 short film Steamboat Willie, people have associated the character with Disney stories, experiences, and authentic products, Disney said in a statement. So this is Disney giving a statement to the New York Times on this story, and they are leaning hard into Mickey Mouse in Steamboat Willie is a trademark of Disney's that indicates Disney origin of products or services that they are clearly presenting to the intellectual property world that you need to be very careful about using this intellectual property or else we're going to burn you on trademark infringement. And so if you're going to make something using Steamboat Willie, it's got to be uh, either crazy, something Disney could never approve, or also include something in the title that says definitely not Disney authorized the Steamboat Willie Disney never wanted you to see or something else that makes it darn clear that this is not Disney's property. That will not change when the copyright in the Steamboat Willie film expires. So, so this is this is as close as you get to, to corporations saying, try it, <laughs> right? In, in the New York Times saying, yeah, all right, go for it. Let's, let's, let's do this. We've got a few lawyers on payroll. Uh, and then whether or not you feel that's fair or not probably depends on how you feel about Disney Corporation in general. It added, we will, of course, continue to protect our rights in more modern versions of Mickey Mouse and other works that remain subject to copyright. And we will work to safeguard against consumer confusion caused by unauthorized uses of Mickey and our other iconic characters. This is trademark language, right? Nobody cares about confusion vis-a-vis -vis copyright. You're either copying or you're not. Consumer confusion is that notion of trademark infringement, that a trademark is designed to say that origin. And if somebody gets confused, then they can sue over your confusing as that origin. So expect really loud, really large letters on completely unauthorized versions of whatever it is that they do with Steamboat Willie from the creative side, as well as perhaps completely grotesque versions of that so as to separate themselves from Disney entirely. To me, this looks like a, a kind of strategy that's more likely to, to hurt Mickey Mouse than anything else, uh, but it is an interesting one that you could see Disney setting up over the last decade or so. Uh, the topic of Mickey Mouse and copyright has loomed in the public consciousness since the late 1990s when Disney and other entertainment companies and notably the estates of composers like George Gershwin successfully lobbied Congress to extend copyright protections. In many ways, Mickey has become the ultimate symbol of intellectual property, a character more well-known than even Santa Claus, market researchers have said. The 1998 copyright extension prompted a court fight with detractors arguing that Congress disregarded the Constitution, which holds that copyright protection be given for a quote-unquote limited time. Free the Mouse bumper stickers began appearing, according to Paul Goldstein, a professor at Stanford Law School and the author of a five-volume treatise on U.S. copyright law. You just wonder on these titles, don't you? It's like, how does that? Okay. Disney was no more active in pushing for the extension than anyone else, but they made for a convenient villain, he said. That's, that's not how I've ever heard this story, but that's fine. In 2003, the Supreme Court ruled seven to two to uphold what Congress had done, but the justices did so while holding their nose. We are not at liberty to second-guess congressional determinations and policy judgments of this order, however debatable or arguably unwise they may be, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote in the majority opinion. And I think that's that's the right holding. 95 years is still a limited amount of time. It is not an indeterminate amount of time, and so I think it follows the letter of the Constitution. I don't know what the vote composition was, but I certainly approve of the, of the courts ever saying, hey, that's public policy. Go talk to your congressperson if you've got a problem with it. Disney lawyers and lobbyists likely determined long ago that pressing Congress for another extension would fail. That last one is held in such bad, bad odor, Mr. Goldstein said. I don't think there was any option to try and extend it further. That means early versions of Popeye, King Kong, Donald Duck, Flash Gordon, Porky Pig, and Superman will enter the public domain at various points over the next decade. If there's anything that Disney takes more seriously than intellectual property, it is its public image. 
Sometimes. In 2020, a Disney, a Disney affiliate charged an elementary school $250 for showing The Lion King without permission at a PTA fundraiser. The media storm that followed was so intense that Bob Iger, Disney's chief executive, apologized and said he would make a personal donation. And I think we covered that here, or at least we mentioned it in this space. In the last decade, Disney has also had to contend with the rise of creator culture, Mr. Moss noted. Hey, Disney, how you doing? Digital technology has allowed creativity and expression to flourish online with YouTubers, vloggers, YouTube vloggers, Instagram influencers, TikTokers, and Twitter rabble rousers incorporating intellectual property into new works. Is that, is that list designed to be the entire sequence of participants in creating content? Am I a YouTube vlogger? I don't think so. Am I an Instagram influencer? Certainly not. I'm not a TikToker. Am I a Twitter rabble rouser? Hmm. What about just informational and educational content? No, that's all right. New York times. We understand we've seen the masthead media fight against the, uh, the content creators to a great extent. This is the same kind of thing, by the way, this is, this is all that content creation is, right? You're either a vlogger, an, in, an influencer, a TikToker, or a Twitter rabble rouser. These are all basically negative connotations in, in the, in the mass eye. Right. And so the New York times uses those no, no value here at all, folks. No value here at all, though. But Disney has had to contend with it, yes, because copyright doesn't protect every single use of your copyrighted material. And so lots of people comment on these things. Lots of people talk through these things. That could pose a challenge for Disney when Steamboat Willie comes into the public domain. They won't be able to go after everyone. Battle lines will have to be drawn. That's certainly the case. Ms. Ginsburg said she was watching closely to see if Disney and other entertainment companies tried to apply trademark law as a substitute for or extension of copyright. As she put it, to apply a separate protection to get to the same place. In a Supreme Court intellectual property case from 2003, including 20th Century Fox, Justice Antonin Scalia, writing for the court, warned of using trademarks to generate a species of mutant copyright law. This is a looming area, Ms. Ginsburg said. We're on the cusp of a time when copyrights in a range of visual works will expire. I agree. Get excited. We're going to see all of this happen in real time. We're going to have litigation topics to talk about. We're going to see what Disney does. Disney is one of the largest media companies on earth. We'll continue to be a regular player here on the channel because they're going to do some stuff. We're going to like, we're going to do some stuff. We are really not going to like, and it's going to be fun to watch all the same. We got Microsoft, we got Disney. We got lots of fun stuff to talk about for the foreseeable future in this space. But what do you think of this story? What do you think about what Disney's doing? What do you think about their attempts to trademark Steamboat Willie and associate it with the origin of their products and services to avoid the very long period of time that they've had to enjoy the fruits of their copyright creation, and how do you think the law should treat it? How do you think we should treat it here? Let me know what your thoughts are. I think it's interesting to see what uh, what chat thinks about these things. We just have quotes, Stanford Law School. A lot of people still burned a little bit by Stanford Law School from the Depp Hard stuff. I get that. I get that. Uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, wow, consumer confusion now has all new meaning for me. I appreciate the translation. Yep, consumer confusion means trademark. That is what they are aiming all of their words at trademark. Uh, most definitely, we have people discussing various things on the internet and how folks are using intellectual property materials for perhaps other purposes. Uh, so that's a fun part of the conversation. Uh, I won't have anything to do with Disney again, says Carol. Sorry, they're no longer family friendly. Disney is going through some stuff. There's no question there. And Disney Plus is going to be something that is either a massive success for them long term or really drags them down. I think that's what Bob Iger was brought in to kind of fix. Uh, is the, the the park situation and the Disney Plus situation. We'll see how he does. Sometimes 
going back to the old can be good. Maybe no. Uh, oh, no, Pooh, says Tia. Yeah, if you hadn't heard about that Pooh killer movie, that was probably news to you. Uh, thankfully, IP law is fairly straightforward, says Syracuse Brad. <laughs> it's not at all the most ambiguous pieces of law that govern the entirety of modern economies. Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. Mary Jane says, I named my guinea pig after Mickey, but he creeps me out now while giving me nostalgia. It's a combo platter. Actually, Mickey Mouse kind of creeps me out while giving me nostalgia at the same time. So it works for your guinea pig. Uh, Sardinism says, I missed a chunk, got a call for work, but hopefully I've watched enough of Hogue and Leonard French to be safe on the legal definitions. LOL. Leonard French is a great YouTuber to go to for copyright questions, in particular intellectual property. That's what he does day to day. Uh, so I highly recommend it. I, I assume he'll be talking about this stuff as well over the next few years. Maybe we can do a collab. Uh, we will see. Uh, really like Leonard French, uh, and he focuses on that educational style uh, like we like to do here, most definitely. Uh, yep, let's see here. What else we got going on here? Uh, people deleting posts, trying to delete posts. Let small businesses thrive, says Joe Munger. I assume you're not referring to Disney on that. <laughs> Mary Jane, well, Hogue, I hate Disney law, but they will not give up copyright. No, I mean, they're going to have to give up copyright but they're going to try to fight it with other means, I would say. Uh, I think Steamboat Willie should have had the trademark denied. Uh, I think the trademark office is generally going to be pretty generous about trademarking your characters. The question is, uh, are you going to be able to fight that in court using trademark when it's self-evident that your product isn't from the origin of Walt Disney Company? Uh, and I don't think anybody really knows how this is going to go down if there's a full-on knockout, drag-out fight on these particular topics. So that's interesting agents uh, merton says the timing is interesting with all the copyrights ending we may see many of these characters incorporated into metaverse type stuff like ready player one wouldn't surprise me if epic games were ready to go with the steamboat willie in Fortnite. right wouldn't surprise me they got the lawyers to do it they got the money to actually play ball with disney if they had to not that you want to like start that fight but they're also a contractor for disney right they have the star wars stuff in there they have the marvel stuff in there so one thing you have is the bigger companies probably don't want to punch disney in the nose so there's a whole lot of interesting things happening with respect to these intellectual property pieces that'll be that'll be interesting to follow. Definitely. I love this stuff, obviously. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm talking about this stuff. And we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hangry says, as someone who has followed Disney copyright and where a lot of their original works come from, I'd really like to see them fail on making Mickey a trademark, but I'm not hopeful. Well, they've already got it registered. Uh, the question isn't whether they can get it registered in the trademark office. That's an executive branch agency. That's part of, uh, of the administration empowered by Congress. The question is, is whatever they try to block with that trademark, will the courts go for it? And so Disney is going to have to be very careful with what it decides to do, because like we talked about earlier in the video, they don't want to set a precedent that works against them. So that's going to be interesting to watch strategically. As you can tell, I love this stuff, uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see who they pick to bring be their scapegoat on this and whether or not they can win a case that way. I think there will be litigation. I think somebody will go too far and Disney will either decide to or have to put its foot down to try to protect the trademark side of things. At that point, the courts can go in there and say, no, you can't, you can't get around copyright by doing this with a character and then striking down every bit of the public domain. It's designed to end for a reason. If it doesn't truly end, then we've got a constitutional issue. So I think it's going to be fascinating, fascinating. Uh, MSCLRHD says, interestingly, Peter Pan is copyrighted indefinitely in the UK. Right. Other jurisdictions can have different rules, folks. That is another important aspect of this. I want to say uh, that. Uh, thank you for the chat here. The, this, we're talking about the US jurisdiction. That's going to govern a lot 
of the jurisdictions and the way treaties work and things like that. But every jurisdiction can make these choices. Uh, Peter Pan is copyrighted indefinitely in the UK as it was donated to a children's hospital. And the King James Bible is still in copyright until 2036 via the Cambridge Press. Yeah, I have no doubt that other jurisdictions have different rules and are applied differently than in the United States. Uh, public domain has brought us things like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It has. Yep, absolutely. Public domain is a great thing. I think 95 years is too long. I will tell you that straight up from a public policy thing. That's an editorial, right, from me, is that reasonable minds can differ. It should be 30. It should be 150. Reasonable minds can differ on that timing. I think 95 years is too long. Uh, I think public domain is so critical to having a robust creative community and being able to interact with what culture actually presents that it should be shortened. Uh, but we'll see. Midnight Wind says Disney's money will slay all challengers. Maybe not all. You just have to get over the hump of actually being able to pay for a litigation. Uh, and so you don't need to match Disney's money. You just need to be invested enough to go for it. Uh, and so I think a, if they were to challenge a, a kind of medium to large size company on one of these, then they would get the fight that they don't want. Uh, so they're going to be picking and choosing. They're going to be trying to bludgeon some small creators, I would guess, on this stuff to try to prove their point and potentially win a precedent that could be useful to them, uh, but at least present as aggressively litigious, right? We've talked about that strategy. You want to look like the crazy person with the gun. In this case, the gun is litigation so that people don't even challenge you, right? You send a cease and desist letter that is pointless and any lawyer would tell you is idiotic, but you still back off because they're a crazy person with a gun. Like that's part of the strategy that you can have if you want to just choose to be a litigious actor. Uh, and Disney might go that route. We don't know what route they're going to go. Um, an interesting copyright battle was Mickey and the Air Pirates. I think I have the parody correct. I looked that up. I don't actually know that one, but there's definitely people that have tried to stretch the lines uh, between what is allowed. Copyright can't protect against parody. That is commentary on things like Disney, right? If you think about uh, the movie Shrek, right? You know that when the, the Shrek movies play out, they make fun of Disney in a number of different ways and they do it in parody form. Uh, and you can tell it's Disney. You know who they're referring to, but Disney couldn't do anything about it. Uh, and they didn't much care for it. I understand Disney trying to hold on to their work, but they also thrive so much on public domain, Snow White, Pinocchio, Cinderella, et cetera. So not sympathetic. Absolutely. Disney built itself on stories that were available in the public domain. Now they reworked those. So while you can make a story about Cinderella, you can't make a story exactly like the Cinderella that's in Disney. And we'll see this fight happening in real time across this century. I, I won't see it all, obviously. Uh, but it will be very interesting to follow, definitely. 95 is too long, says Cyril Gunner. I agree. Uh, in fact, I think Hollywood has suffered by their own hand because copyright lasts too long. That they get stagnant and we get uh, less and less good works. I would agree with that. Uh, doesn't the notion of copyright predate the first corporate charter, says Chameleon, i.e. the founders would not have considered the insane copyright terms reasonable and hollowing out promoting progress. No, corporate charters as common, as common law concepts, not necessarily bearing the term corporation, were part of English common law. Uh, and, and tradition. So I think they would have concepted out that you can have pools of money that are individually built together to hold copyrights and things along those lines. Uh, but I, I do think that you, you bring up a good point that corporations getting essentially an often more beneficial time period for copyrights is perhaps not the way that uh, the founders would have intended it. But I, if you follow my Supreme Court videos in this space, I'm not in the business of reading the minds of the founders or the original Congress or signers to the Declaration or Constitution or anything like that. That's one of the reasons I think originalism is a, is a failed kind of philosophical approach, because you can read people's minds to say whatever you like. Uh, and I, I think that's what the court often does now. Uh, 30 to 35 years is more than reasonable, more than planning for the author and even for companies if it's reasonable. In 35 years, the monetary worth of the MCU will be nowhere near the same as it is now. Just want to protect that main 
bit of creativity in the money-making. I tend to agree, RJH. They did it in the Chip and Dale movies with Sonic. That had to be licensed Sonic appearance, didn't it? So one place that you can get tripped up on public domain is that you can always license something. The, the copyright holder can always agree to give it to you. I have to believe that was used with permission from, who is that? Who makes the Sonic movies? Universal? I, I have to believe that was used by license or with permission. I, I, I will go look at the credits maybe on that. If somebody can see the credits right now while we're chatting, I can't believe that they would have just used that as fair use. I, I just don't see it happening. We'll see. Uh, huh. I thought the inclusion of the classic characters into Kingdom Hearts was a preemptive measure. No. So the versions in Kingdom Hearts are going to be separately protected, but they're <clears throat> they're so superficial and hollow. I don't know that there's an ounce of creativity required for additional copyright protection. Ouch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kingdom Hearts fans. Uh, so I don't think that's additional there necessarily, uh, but you never know. Again, the more money Disney can make this in terms of arguments that they can bring at a kind of summary dismissal stage the more risk that anybody using anything from them would have. But most of the Kingdom Hearts characters aren't going to come out into the public domain for years and years and years, decades. Uh, uh, and uh, the, the 90s renaissance obviously isn't going to come out while we're alive for the most part for most of us. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Nicholas says, as with medicine, 20 years, every extension became steeply more expensive, 95 years and owned by great grandkids who never met the creator. You saw the fight with the Conan Doyle estate, right? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had been dead for forever by the time that that fight is happening in the courts. Sonic movie was Paramount, somebody in chat said. So that's fantastic. Will Hogue Law outlive you? I don't know. I guess it would depend on whether family members wanted to use the brand. But certainly, if, it, if it's just what I have, then yeah, no, I'm, I'm not intending for Hogue Law to outlive me. This is, this is, just, this is just my firm. Just my firm. Uh, controversial opinion, says Reasonable Glitter Mass. I like She-Hulk. I still have to watch Ms. Marvel, though, although also like Loki in Midnight. Sorry, Hoglaw. No, you're not a fan. I watched the first couple episodes of She-Hulk. I really didn't feel anything towards it. Um, I know it got it got hit pretty hard on the internet in some corners. I just haven't gotten back around to it. Uh, Disney, Disney, to me, makes a lot of crap, uh, but they do occasionally hit a gem. I, I adored Andor. It was one of my favorite shows of the year. So I'm not... I, I'm not so black and white on any kind of producer or studio or anything like that. I think a lot of them make garbage uh, and a lot of them make great stuff. I'm no big Paramount fan, but I love Maverick. I'm no great Disney fan. I think Lightyear and Strange World, World were god awful. Uh, I think, what else have I seen from Disney this year? I thought uh, Thor Love and Thunder was bad. I think Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was okay to good, but could have been much better. Um, and so I, I think Disney is in a real rut for things that I've enjoyed from them. But at the same time, this year they released Andor. So it's, it's pretty tricky. Um, yeah, Sonic movies made by Paramount. I gotta believe it's licensed. Gotta believe it's licensed, uh, to, uh, to the Chippendale movie. Um, that's the kind of thing that a lot of lawyers can do for you. Yeah, they didn't recreate crappy Sonic. They asked for him and they sent over the files and it was licensed, says Pensive Cow. I, I don't know this for sure, Pensive Cow, uh, but I'm going to take your word for it. it. It just seemed like such a licensed appearance. Um, and it essentially served as marketing for Paramount. When you think about it, the ugly Sonic stuff works really well for them because it makes them look, and I think it, it's the truth, that they listened to people that saw that trailer and said no. Uh, and so I think that that, I think that that is useful to them so that they would be willing to license or give by permission things like ugly Sonic. Even though you might think it reflects poorly on them, I think ultimately it reflects well uh, on that studio. Uh, Wakanda Forever? Didn't see Wakanda Forever. 
I didn't see Wakanda forever. I got uh, pretty sick or otherwise tied up with things. Uh, and we got to the point where I was just going to wait for it to come out on, um, on uh, my, my, my home movie screens, but it's, uh, it's one that I'm waiting on. So maybe I'll love it. Don't know. I love Ryan Coogler. I, I think he's fantastic. Sonic IP is owned by Sega who Paramount got the license to the movies from in the first place. Yeah. But in general, the, uh, the way that this is going to work is that they're going to spend money to create a derivative of Sonic. And then they're going to have rights in that derivative of Sonic. It depends on what the contract says, but generally speaking, the movie studio is going to take ownership of its version of Sonic. And then it's often going to have the rights to license and sell those things out because it needs them, right? They want to put their Sonic on a lunchbox. They want to do these kinds of things. And so that'll all be part of an intellectual property license negotiation. These get very complicated. Lawyers spend their entire careers just doing them. Uh, if you remember from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, if you followed along with that, they had a Hollywood guy that really did focus on intellectual property licenses. Uh, and so I can't promise you exactly who has to sign off on Ugly Sonic appearing in Chippendale for Disney, but chances are the biggest sign off comes from Paramount, who spent the money to make Ugly Sonic. Uh, and so <laughs> what the, WTF is Ugly Sonic? <laughs> oh, let's see if I can pull up this in the background. Oh, my gosh. Um, so yeah, Ugly Sonic is, uh, a version of Sonic the Hedgehog that was put forth in the trailers to the Sonic movie initially, uh, and had like a teeth in a face. Let's see if we can pull this up. Um, and, uh, I've got a Newsweek article I'm trying to load in the background here, but Ugly Sonic, uh, was just a bad, was just a bad artistic direction. And so I think we could pull this up. Um, and people really didn't like it. So on the left, you see the redo, uh, the movie that was actually released. On the right, you see how it appeared in the trailers. Uh, and so they had made a kind of anthropomorphized Sonic the Hedgehog uh, with like the people teeth and the, the differing eyes. And you see this sometimes in movie making where it is, um, they're trying to make it photorealistic when that was never necessary to have Sonic interact uh, in the world. And so people basically complained and Paramount took the unusual step of saying, we're going to redesign Sonic. Uh, and there are other complaint articles about whether or not that resulted in a huge amount of crunch for the animators and things like that. But it is undoubtedly the case. And I, I, I don't make guarantees. I don't make uh, these kinds of statements. It's undoubtedly the case that the Sonic that was actually in the movie is, is a superior Sonic to what they originally showed us. And in the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, um, where they're basically sending up all sorts of uh, animation tropes and it's a satire and it's it's, it's an okay film. Uh, they use Ugly Sonic. He appears in the movie itself uh, as a character as having been kicked out of his own movie. Uh, and so they use him. And I, what I had said was that has to be a licensed appearance that Paramount had to sign off on that because I think the, 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 the context of what we were talking about in terms of this video uh, was that well, we saw the Rescue Rangers use um, use Ugly Sonic. And that, that was a deal. You can always have a deal. Disney can always license you, Mickey, from A Christmas Carol. They won't, but they always could. What we're talking about is it's not their choice anymore. It's not their intellectual property anymore. It goes into the public domain. They don't get to tell you that you can't have your Winnie the Pooh serial killer movie. Uh, and that's that's the difference. <laughs> Creepy teeth. Yes, pictures, please. Oh, yes, please show. I only pulled up the one. Uh, but yes, bad artistic direction is an understatement. It was so horrific. They just had to redo. Oh, the teeth. <laughs> Ugly Sonic was the definition of uncanny valley valley. The left version is way better. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. I always thought Ugly Sonic was bad, but I've never seen them side by side before. What were they thinking? That's so, so bad. Uh, the swap out paid off as they got a second movie. Yes. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie was a, was a success. 
They made money on it. They got a sequel out of it. Absolutely. According to Sega, they found out when the movie was released. Yeah, I don't think Sega would have had to do a sign-off. Because in general, the way you're going to license these out to have a movie is that the movie studio is going to take control of their derivative version of Sonic. Um, so I'm not sure it would have been nice to have like told them that you would have licensed that out for that purpose. But I'm not positive. It would depend on the contracts as to whether Sega itself would have to sign off on that appearance. So, yeah. Lol, the first Sonic movie was actually really fun. I, I like Sonic. I haven't seen the second yet. Um, so uh, I'll see. We'll see when we see the sequel. But that's somehow we started hanging out, talking about holiday seasons. We we went through Sherlock Holmes. We talked about serial killing Winnie the Pooh. And we wound up at Ugly Sonic. To me, I can think of no better way to exit and celebrate a successful hangouts and headlines than with that variety of animated and other characters. So, folks, thank you so much for putting up with me and hanging, having a good hangout and headline this morning, an unusual time, 9 a.m. to 10.30. I don't know when the next one will be. We'll see if we do a, a casual Friday one tomorrow. I know there's some virtual legality stuff that's out there. Lena Khan, we talked about that earlier on. Uh, but I am going to try to take it easy and pop in from time to time to say hi. I've got some clips I can put up on the channel as well, uh, rather than hit like a specific schedule this week and next week. Uh, but then we'll be back, flying high, doing the things we do, running a law firm, being on YouTube. Uh, so until then, I hope you get some rest and relaxation. I hope you had... A wonderful holiday. I hope you have a great New Year's. I hope my Michigan Wolverines have a great New Year's. And I will see you on the next episode of whatever I see you on here on the Hoglola YouTube channel. Have a great one, everybody. Please like and subscribe on your way out if you like this content. I always really appreciate that and share it with your friends, of course. See you real soon.